0: All right guys, let me tell you about the June comedy dates, right? In June 19th, I'm at the South Kensington Comedy Club. on June 22nd, I'm back at the South Kensington Comedy Club. On June 24th, I'm at Zabrano's in Soho. On June 26th, I'm at Sam Rhodes' Comedy Explosion in Dalston. On June 27th, I'm at Big Smoke Comedy at the Nellable Jury in Covent Garden. On the 28th, I'm at After Dark Comedy in Reading, and on the 29th i'm at Lyons- the linester's arms in notting hill wow it's coming to a close and edinburgh is getting really 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 near so let me promote the shit out of that so as always we myself Duffy Connors and Sean Jahan are the ticked boxes and we are taking our show to Edinburgh We will be at Jocker Murphy's Bar from April 1st to April 25th from 6.45 to 7.45 So please get your asses down there if you are in Edinburgh it would be great to see you All Right, guys my guest today is uh, someone who I've known for a little bit on the circuit and his name is luke anthony he does a podcast called the comedians outlook podcast and he's a comic himself um we talk about quite a lot of things we talk about what it's like to do comedy in cambridge compared to what it's like in london we talk about representation of different people in the media and also a little show called Derek. so yeah please welcome luke anthony Hello, Right. now we're ready, we're cooking, we're cooking with gas. Alright, I'll, um, I'll let you I'll let you kick this off and, and I'll improvise. Alright, cool. Uh, so, hi Luke Anthony, how are you? Hello, how are you doing? This I haven't is, seen you for a little while. This is the part where we pretend we haven't been talking for quite the past 10 minutes, discussing what we're going to talk about. Yeah, it's,
1: it's also the bit that we pretend we have been talking between now and the last time you did my podcast. Yeah, that's um, it.
0: And so we haven't really spoken much since the podcast Not much, (laughs) no Other than you asked me to promote the podcast Which I think I did quite well You did pretty well You've got some good listeners
1: actually I had a few comments Um, Did you? Sure Yeah, um, I won't tell them what they are on the podcast Because it might not be good for your career Oh, fair enough (laughs) No, it's a very good episode Um, Do you know what? It's um, good to see you I felt I had a a spout of guilt recently Because I realised that um, I hadn't Got you to perform Michael Monday night, ah, um, which is in true. Cambridge, and I felt very, very guilty about that. But well, yeah,
0: shit, we'll have sussed that. Shit, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, you never sussed it. I shouldn't have said anything. No, sorry. <laughs> ah. Speaking of comedy, man, like, so, how long have you been doing it for? to
1: me, I I started many years ago. So I I um I started at the end of school. So you know, you know, like when they do a, um uh, at the end of a. Like at the end of an, an end of school yeah. assembly, and everyone gets up and shows what talents they have. Yeah. And I'd never done stand up before, so what I did, I got a load of sort of like like bits and material from other comedians at the time. I was only 16, I had nothing to talk about, and just basically sandwiched it together and did a stand up show, and it went pretty really damn really well. But following that, I had a bit of a uh, a bit of a turn with like bipolar and that, That's okay. why I, I associated some very negative to. comedy so I stopped doing it for I don't know about 10 years really and then a couple of years I came back to it and here I am two years in and so no how old how are you now? Like, 27. 27, alright. So, so yeah, about nine years and here I am again doing it again. But, That's good. but I've, been, I've been writing a sitcom and all that sort of stuff in that time. I've been writing stand-up material and then suddenly I just I just
0: thought, you know what, what's the worst that could happen? Alright, well, what's the difference between writing a set and writing a sitcom, writing a screenplay or a sitcom? Because... Well, I think that's something that'd be quite interesting to know for someone that is a budding young comic, if you're interested in that avenue.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So, a lot of a lot of sitcoms are, you know, they, they work in the same way, and the, as a joke does, you know, you have setup and then punchline. So you could have, like, you know, talking your best ones, like Only Fools and Horses. You have set-up-set-up, setup, comment, comment, maybe negative, negative, and then a the positive that ends it, and you get a big laugh. So you yeah. have you maybe have like drag someone down a little bit, and then you're like, yeah, boom, shock them. The shock, shock is always a thing. And so writing a is different because I'm writing about my granddad for sitcom, but I find it very difficult to do material on stage for that, you know. So to to get people, unless I've got like an hour, two hour set, it's very difficult to get people on board. We're talking about my granddad and everything. Uh, and, and things he did because I have to really act it out and all that sort of stuff. Whereas a sitcom, where I can take people on a journey, introduce them, who they are, you know, give them a backstory, and then take them on their journey. And people like fall in love with that character rather than me talking about someone like third person. So that for me is the difference. Is I speak very much about myself on stage where the sitcom is very kind of third-person looking at the world around me.
0: So is Granddad still alive, or is he... Is no, he passed
1: around. He passed away, around, he passed away um, a few years back, oh, um, maybe five years, so that's fine. Like, it's one of those things he... A lot of the sitcom is about how he's, from one point, he was, he was a, he's an alcoholic, he smoked 40 cigarettes a day, he didn't care about his family, and then suddenly he found out that one of his daughters were pregnant, and on that, literally overnight, he stopped drinking, he stopped smoking, and, for, and then he went to the doctor after having a heart attack because of this, and they said if he doesn't give up smoking on alcohol, then he's not going to see, he's not going to be, a, he's not going to live long enough to see his grandchildren. And then it suddenly he changed, and he lived to 82. That's cool. So he just switched like, just like that. And and it, uh, it's a weird one because it is all about, it's all about really funny things. It's all about this guy that you, you like and you want to do well, but he never quite does it. He always wants to impress people. But there's one scene in it where he's trying to pick an apple. He's showing up that He's got an apple tree and everything in an orchard, and he's trying to pick an apple. And then the ladder falls down and then he's hanging from a branch and everyone, all of his guests, all they can do is laugh at that time and he's going mental and it's just, he played a very angry Irishman and it's just very, very funny and he was a very funny guy.
0: Do you reckon that'll be, have you planned this as like a multi-camera or a single camera? Like for those that don't know, Multi-camera sitcoms are the ones where you have the laughter track or, or the studio audience, in inverted commas, who are laughing and a single camera would be something like, I don't know, The Office or something like that, okay. where there's no laugh track, but it's still funny. What yeah,
1: I see, I see what you're saying. I, I, I don't know, I don't, think, I don't think audiences should have to have like a prompt to laugh. Yeah. If the writing's good enough and the, the you know the the sitcom the sitcom's good enough to make you laugh, then it should make you laugh regardless. Yeah. Then again, some of the best comedies that were ever created had laugh tracks. Yeah. That's And, true. and so I don't know. I, I don't think it would need it. I think it would be fine as it is. Um, I think
0: yeah, because I think if you wanted to get the more dramatic element down, I think having the laugh, the studio audience. Not just the studio, not the studio, but the multi camera format itself doesn't really lend much to drama, it lends more to slapstick, slapstick semi high concert comedy, like yeah. um, I don't know, she, um, say like My Family or something like that, or something like that, yeah, or
1: like Forty Towers. I'm pretty yeah. sure they have a laughter track on it. That is a much better reference, yeah. and yeah. <laughs> I'm upset that I didn't come up with that one. <laughs> so, like, so Forty Towers relied on like the physicality of, John, of Cleese. Uh, John Cleese yeah exactly and then the stupidity and the kind of that um, of Manuel you know yeah. so that really worked well with, with, with the laugh track because it really, went, it really, really worked well you are right there put, yeah. for, the, for the benefit of the lesson I just put his headphones around his neck because yeah. he's very hipster
0: like well it was they were on the table and I knew that we were going to be getting food soon and I was like there's nowhere else for me to put them to go and if i was going to put them in my bag without really telling you what i'm doing underneath a table that could look a bit weird and awkward and the listener would never have known what happened no they wouldn't <laughs> but like i like to tell people who are listening what we're doing what yeah, actually yeah. is happening because it paints a picture of the absolute electrifying scenes that are going on right now yeah yeah we
1: we're very sitting here doing this podcast naked, for example. Yep. Oh, that's it. Um, in yeah. the middle of the public.
0: In a public restaurant in South, in South Kensington. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's a
0: very posh place, very posh place. I feel really out of place whenever I'm here, to be honest. <laughs> Just I,
1: I do particularly when, when I get my bank card out and have to pay for a drink. Uh, it's uh, particularly difficult for the bank balance. Um, it's at least two, two pounds more expensive than anywhere
0: else yeah. in the world. Um, so, so speaking of that, where did you grow up? Cambridge, 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 born and raised. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Uh, Thank you very much.
1: Right, so... I realise that this is going to be noisy to eat. It's fine. Yeah, do you know what?
0: We'll pause it. you read it out, right? Yeah. 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 Right, so we did pause that because we did get our food and we decided to actually continue recording and eat at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I recently did a, I an episode with um,
1: these guys called the Glass Eye Boys, who um, Aaron Spalding, Louis Green, and Danny War, uh, Danny Mark, who uh, a little name drop there for them straight, But we had a, basically it was three of them together because they were like a trio in terms of like running comedy nights. Yeah. Um, having them on together was very banterful, <laughs> and I ordered pizza. For uh, I brought pizza with them, and they cooked it, but they were cooking it during the the recording. <gasps> And they burn every single one of them. And so right. you, so you can hear throughout the podcast the crunch of a pizza throughout it. And it's never uh, nice for the listeners' ears to hear crunch of a pizza. Well, <laughs> well I'm eating pasta and you're eating pizza and you're eating I oh. don't learn. I have never learned since
0: then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so we were talking when we were, when when we paused it, right? Forty Towers, weren't we? La- laugh tracks. Yeah, and that's mm. it.
1: Laugh tracks. And so yeah, so that 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 was a great example of like um, a you know a, a laughter track that worked for, for this the this, this set what it was. I mean, in the seventies it was very common to have that, you know, and it was more of an American thing I think, because even now sitcoms in America have laughter tracks.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's sort of dying out a little bit now. There's some there's some uh, companies are still keeping it going. CBS. However, like ABC, is now going more towards the the single camera route. Okay. Okay.
1: So yeah, to answer your original question, yeah, definitely I'd go down the single camera route. Mm. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that I'm massively for like the inter, like the sort of documentary kind of style comedy kind of mm. mockumentary sort of thing. Where, whereas it works for things like The Office and it mm. works for Derek. We'll get on get on to soon. But I, I don't think it would work for what I'm trying to create. I'm trying to create a character that everyone sort of gets on board with. You know, it's similar to what Derek is, but I don't want to yeah. break that fourth wall,
0: for example. No. Um, you don't want to have like sit-down interviews with the, with, the, with, with the characters and stuff, no. Because I think that's kind of been... I think Modern family sort of now done that to death. Yeah. Because that's... Kind of like the staple. Like every few, every like every other scene is the characters who were in the previous scene discussing why, what they were doing in the previous scene and why they were doing it. Mm. And then Punch punchline.
1: Mm. It works. It works for that format. It just wouldn't work for what I'm trying to do. No, um, fair enough. it's a long it's a long term
0: project though, so don't don't expect it to be out next week or anything. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> so what actually do you do, Tommy? Or stand up? Um,
1: like a lot of other comedians, um, comedy was a was a, I used to be an actor, I acted for many many years, I acted from like the age of seven, and I got towards sort of, um, I don't know, sort of 14, 15, and, and I had a few bad experiences, and then when I was 17, I did a feature film that was meant to, was tipped, it was a screenplay of a, of a, of a novel. And it was meant to be like tip to go really big and everything. And then we got absolutely screwed over by the director and the producer and everything. Can you name names or? No, no, I, can't, I can't name any names. They were really nice guys, but yeah. they, they just they filmed it twice, one after the other. And then the third time they said they're going to film it one more time. And we'd already forked out a lot of money to be there and do it and everything on the basis that we'd get a percentage. Oh, shoot. Um. And so I sort of lost a bit of love with, with kind of acting. I thought it's quite very pretentious and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, well, I went through a few hardships and I I mentioned a uh, a bit earlier about like bipolar and stuff and there's only one way to see things like bipolar and the experience I had and that's like with with comedy Mm. and so like I said I started writing more comedy for a long time and everything and then I wanted to just test out to see if it was funny to be honest and that's why I turned back to stand up and and here I am. Mm. So how many gigs have you done so far? Oh, I don't count. I good really don't man. Count. Good it's, man. It's um, it's over a hundred. It's over a hundred. I mean, whenever I send a promoter, how many I just put a hundred plus. Yeah. That's
0: Because
1: um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I have. I'm not that obsessed with it, and I don't it's think not. it should. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Um, it shouldn't limit you in terms of how you're good you are. Because I know comedians I've had on the podcast. who have A couple of episodes coming up soon. That, I, I, you know, got started getting paid for comedy within their first year of comedy. So, yeah, you know, it just I know time and doing it, it really does help. But sometimes people have just got a natural thing for it, and it shouldn't be about how many, how many gigs you've done and everything.
0: And plus, like, no matter how many gigs you've done, you're still gonna bomb occasionally. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When James Acaster was bombing, way up until he
1: was a TV name. <laughs> Right, James Acaster is one of the biggest names at the moment. He's, you know, he's touring all over the country. He's on TV all the time, and he's been on TV for a long time. Mm. But he has bombed, and he still bombs. I know a comedian I had on, Paul Richards, who did a gig with him. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the gig, James Acaster said, "Please don't pay me because that was terrible." And that was very recently. Um, and so there's no, no one's immune to
0: bombing. It's yeah. just if the room's not right for you, it's not right for you. Um, I've got a new thing where. I will put money in the I'll put money in the bucket and in the night if I bomb. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. I started it last week. Okay. So I had one gig where it just didn't go well. There's a lot of things that happened before. Like I was late because I didn't plan things right and turned up about. Well half an hour, half an hour late, and so I was frazzled in that time to like prepare myself properly Because it, like, it sounds really pretentious, but you do have to get into the mindset, don't you? Mm. When you're doing stand-up, you do have to have a little bit of time of prep before the gig Just sit down and just sort of centre yourself in a way, that sounds really wanky, doesn't it? Like, no, no, what? it's so true, it's so true, like
1: Like I, I've stopped my partner coming with me to gigs Um, purely because she talks about the most normal things like too many normal things too many issues around the house who's going to do the cooking this week who's going to do the washing this week you know and as much as I want to deal with all those things I want to listen to what she says it really offsets my balance And I I go on thinking about all this normal stuff which is good it's very nice to be down-to-earth and stuff I just have to clear my mind a bit. If I could sit in a dark room for 10 minutes just before I go on and clear my mind completely and meditate and then go on fresh, that that would suit me fine. I'd love that. So what's your writing process? Okay, so everything starts with an observation, really. I mean, I know a lot of people frown upon observational comedy. I don't really do observational comedy. If I do, I do it with a twist. You Mm -hmm. may see some of it tonight. Um, Okay, can't wait. And yeah, so it starts with that, and then I just write a note in my my notes my notes um, app on my phone, and then probably allocate an hour or so over the weekend, or in that night, or at least ten minutes a day or something. At least I try and write for at least an hour or two a, day, a week, a max. Um, mm. Sorry, minimum. Um, yeah, and then I'll try and expand that, do like a spider diagram around it, with all the little bits I could get off that particular topic. So I start with one word, one. Sort of phrase, and then I'll just like spider diagram off it, draw off it. I know it's quite a popular technique with a lot of people, and then I'll write it out fully. Yeah, remember that, probably perform it after remembering the script, and then chuck that piece of paper away. And then just rent with that particular concept every time I go on. So I will chuck that piece of paper away, and I know it's probably not good for the environment, but I just I just that that act of throwing it away means that now I'm on my own. And I have to
0: rip around it. I have to be good enough. You, you know? have to do it. Yes, right. Okay, that's actually really that's really that's actually really cool, man. I've never I've heard variations of that before, but I've never heard of old ripping it ripping it away. But that's I don't mean, know something like that can be really, just a really psychological
1: helpful, yeah. sort of thing. It's kind of like a
0: you're not relying on it completely.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I only recently, once recently, um, gone on with notes. Really? I don't really ever go on with notes, um, ever, at all. And I recently went on with notes, and it went fine, um, because I made jokes around that, but it wasn't really good for my set, because it just didn't work. Um, it was just because I wanted, we I, I had a really nice room, and I thought, a nice room like this is a good time to try something new so I just made a few notes and I went up with those notes and as prompts and it went really well like I just I find myself relying too much on it and I just spoil that that kind of you know you want to go on prepped and, and not think about it I can understand why one line is on one for the first time with one yeah. line is in front of them because it's incredibly hard to remember and um, because they're very important on beats and and structure and all that sort of stuff but when I mean, you're telling stories yeah you really should only go on with a uh, premise, and then be able to get the funny out of it as you go. Um. Or
0: know your script before you go on. Yeah. You see, I'm a little when I um, I'm a little bit of a difficult audience member because when I see someone go on with notes, for me, I immediately think, okay, that's the illusion is ruined. Yeah, yeah. And because of that, I find it a little bit more difficult to find the person funny unless like I know that they're like editing a preview or something like that and they're actually taking things off as they go on. I think that's okay. Yeah, yeah. But I think when you get to the point of bringing something to the step, bringing something to the stage, I think like you shouldn't have your notes on video. I think you should have to leave them in the wings. Where you were sat, go through them a little bit before, but just talk to the audience basically.
1: Yeah, so if, I think yeah, I think that's right. I mean, because even if even if you start a set that you've been trying to learn and you you sort of lose where you were, if you've been going long enough, where you've been doing it enough, then you know you've you've already got your good stuff, mm. right? And at least if you sandwich new bits in between mm-hmm. stuff you know then you can always return to it, you can always revert to that. So you just need yeah. to keep that safety in it. So I, I don't I try not to try new stuff every single week because yeah. or all the time because I feel like you never get good at one bit if you yeah. do that. Yeah. Um so I think there's a lot of comedians that try new stuff all the time which is great. But you're never gonna learn something fully until you've you know learnt it, like I say, chucked it away <clears throat> and then got on and just had the same set but
0: yeah. it's around it. With my current set that I'm doing, which I'm going to bring out to Edinburgh, I'm sort of, I'm certain, I'm sort of in the process of moving things around to see where they fit better. Mm. Like I moved something. I did five minutes last night at at Moore's Bar, which is a great, which is a great once a month month venue. If you can get on it, it's great. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I moved something that was going to be at the end of my set to very very near the beginning and it flowed so much better oh, wow. yeah, yeah. like honestly just it just made so much sense i just don't know why i didn't do it before because the thing i was talking about before like actually fits in with it and it would have meant that the audience didn't forget the thing i talked about before oh okay and then suddenly like, oh yeah i remember that now yeah that's good. That's good. I mean, that, that's what doing Edinburgh previews are all about. So yeah. Um, nice. Oh man. But are you going to go to Edinburgh this year? Do you reckon?
1: Um, it all depends on a few competitions I've done, really. Mm. Um, Which ones have you done? well the, the main one to speak of a couple of others but the main one to speak of was um, So You Think it's Funny did
0: they um, uh, back backyard? how was it
1: How'd yeah, it yeah really well an amazing room I'd love to go back there and just do a set there because it's such a beautiful place to perform like it's it's such a good just a, a huge room and it's really nice and yeah really nice audience I, I just saw it and I thought well you know for my comedy club i got a palette for a stage they got pallets for a backdrop so yeah. they're winning <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah really good i mean I, the set was brilliant but it's one of those things right there's just such a huge talent pool that you can't you can't really base on it. and and most people like myself like you're meant to have only done like 15 gigs before you apply oh that's bollocks isn't it but <laughs> not a, a single person that would have done 15 gigs before they applied so uh, you know two years in it, 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 okay so if you're looking for an agent right one of the things that agents say to you before you get signed on is go and do every single comedy club, sorry, every single competition you can before you get an agent and the reason yep. is because when you get an agent they will not let you do such new uh, new, uh, new beginner nights, yep. you see? So just get as many of them done before because if you might get three you might not but it doesn't matter you at least tick them off, you know? Um, so that's what I'm trying to do now, you know? I, if an agent called me up tomorrow, take them, but I, it's good to just tick off all those new bits because um, it's really good for your sort of experience and all that sort of stuff. So. Exactly, the mindset. Mm. Mm. So what's the Cambridge comedy scene like at the moment? Um, there's a few good nights. Um, we, we sort of work in a basis at East Anglia really. Mm-hmm. So we have probably three, four good nights in Cambridge. There's probably four a month that are good, but then... There's loads of places around Suffolk and Norfolk and all that sort of stuff, so we have a real sort of community and a collective across that, so we we, we go to all the different ones and travel you for you call it
0: a comedy collective? No, we're
1: not, not quite as far as that. Simon Kane's a lovely guy, um, <laughs> yeah, he does a very good job of running that, and his show is really, really good. Um, he lets me post my podcast on this, so that's nice. Um, yeah no the comedy club is just great. Um I just wouldn't dare ask anything too novel because no. you get absolutely rinsed by the rest of the comedians. Oh. Um. Yeah, it
0: can be a I love it. I think it's great, I think it's like Heat magazine, but for mm-hmm. us. Yeah, I right. know. Mm. So what's been
1: your best gig? Best gig. Um I'd say it has to be the it has to be the backyard um in terms of like it was it was one of those rooms where because were so many people mm-hmm. that when you got the rupture of, of applause or a laugh, you know it was so it felt so good you know and, and i know they're there to laugh and all that sort of stuff but it, it just i just came off thinking that everything i set out to do went well um and it was quite refreshing to know
0: that
1: that sort of proved to me that now i'm struggling to fit into under ten, uh, under seven minutes really um, seven minutes is difficult for me now how long have you got tonight five <laughs> so good luck with that one i might just have to have one idea and rip off that but i i haven't planned tonight set tonight i just for five minutes by the time i've gone on stage and had a fight with a mic stand that's yeah. at least a minute in and <laughs> go from
0: there <laughs> so what's been your worst gig You'd, yeah. have to, you'd have to name the names if you don't want to. But no, no. Um, worst gig.
1: Worst gig. That's a really tough one. Um, that's why I asked it. There's been a few. I mean, because the, the minute the minute I started like really getting passionate about doing comedy, I started dying on my ass regularly. Yeah, yeah. It was so annoying. Um, and so it's hard to pick one. There was a, at least two weeks where I was doing a gig every other every other day, and. I just, I just, nothing was landing, and it was the same set I've done everywhere else. I, I think my attitude was wrong. I was struggling with my voice. I, I was doing, you know, dealing with it wrong. And I think, I think the worst one was a gig when I just sort of performed ten minutes to silence, and oh, very. And so you had a few <laughs> titters, but there, and there weren't, there just weren't that many people in there. You're performing to comedians, but there was about three or four like, actual audience members, and. And it just nothing was landing. They just didn't get it. Like I I, I went home. I, I was on the way home, and I just I just did the same set again and recorded it on the way home. Yeah. And, and then listened back to it, and I listened back to the one I I did at that gig, and I just I just sounded so nervous. Like I don't know what it was. I just because I saw i seen two or three people die on their ass before me. Yeah. And so I, there was no way that I could get on there. And because at that time it was about a year ago now that I. I was
0: there.
1: I was doing very deadpan stuff. Right? Yeah. I was doing very straight, deadpan, low energy stuff, right? And it just, it just didn't work in that room. And I think I've become a little bit more fluent and okay. fluid on, on stage now. So when something happens in the audience, I can now sort of rip off that. there's yeah. um, There was one I performed at recently where I was you, befo- you basically perform with the toilet next to you, what? right? So every every because it's just the way
0: it is yeah. in the in the in the cafe. I thought you meant like the actual, you actually next to a toilet. The next to the door of a toilet, not, yeah. No, I thought you meant like the actual thing, the actual toilet itself, that the toilet mean,
1: was <laughs> on stage. Well, you go to Edinburgh, I'm, I'm sure you'll see a few stages <laughs> in, in a lavatory. In a toilet cubicle, yeah. Exactly, yeah.
0: In fact, I'd be a bit disappointed if I don't see one of those. That's true, yeah. Um, but no, it's just one of those things where
1: people were coming out of the toilet, sort of awkwardly walking past the stage, Back to sit down, but I love that sort of thing because you can just sort of play off the audience, and everyone knows how awkward that is. And, and um, yeah, so I'm still playing, although I'm getting paid a bit more often than I was. Um, um, it's I'm still doing the open mic nights, and I love them. I just still love the open mic night nights, and, and I just I'll keep doing them because they're great for new material. And, and now, now I'm at a stage where I don't ever do old stuff at an open mic night. It's all it's all about doing new stuff, because there's there, there there's one place to do it, it's at like a new materials night. Oh. Um, so yeah, so I'm not dying as much as I was, because now I have that that flexibility to, 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 to play with the audience or abandon material and just have a laugh with the people around you.
0: I also think that once you start caring about it a bit more, because it's now sort of, well, I can't speak for you, but for me personally, it's sort of becoming something a little bit more than a hobby because of what's going to happen in all this the Edinburgh thing right so because of that I'm caring about it a lot more yeah and so I'm sort of noticing a lot more when I don't do well and caring about that a bit more so I know I need to get a lot better for the eventual yeah. thing for Edinburgh when that happens so, so you're a lot more aware with with your set and
1: how you're coming across and all that yeah. sort of stuff so you're spending are you spending a lot more time I don't know deconstructing your sets and trying to like like you say you you know you move something from the end to the near the beginning yeah. and and that's a, that's that's a big change between someone who's just trying a script and yeah. someone who's really trying to get the best the best set out there.
0: Yeah, but for me, it's not just about moving things around. It's about my mindset on stage and my movements on stage. I'm literally in my head, which I shouldn't really be because I need to be present more. Yeah. But at the moment. I'm really thinking about everything about how I'm coming across. Like, okay, they like they like it when I move my arm like this, or they like it when I stand like this, or they like it when I move around a little bit. Like, yeah. And it's just about getting that that sort of balance right. And I think that sort of came from um, conversation. Well, uh, what the arm thing came from the conversation with my friend Dave Mullen, who's another comedian not having a podcast. Mm -hmm. And also, when I gigged outside London for the first time, I did a gig in Nottingham. Okay. I moved around a lot and I was really like quite nervous and I fell off the stage. Oh. <laughs> no way. Yeah, way. Oh God. That was honestly the biggest learning curve I've ever had. Like that was honestly the most... There were two critics in there that, that evening as well, which didn't help matters. <laughs> obviously, as you can point out, not reviewed the best, I was not the best reviewed on that night, but no. that was such a great learning curve, like, about some things that travel outside London, some, what doesn't some travel outside London, and also about stage presence as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, because when um, when Nathan was on my podcast he spoke about the future plans to go and do Nottingham Yeah, and one of the things I said to you was that a lot of comedians in London have, like, even this echo chamber where like, they they have really good gigs everywhere around them yeah, and they go yeah. to them and they have, a, like, a, very supportive rooms. Whereas yeah. when you go out, when you venture out of London, sometimes you get a bit of a, a shock in yeah. terms of what it is. And it sounds like it was really good for you.
0: It was a packed out room as well, it was like 100 people. And so, and, and everyone was really up for it. They'd all paid, it was really great. It was just that my baby teeth uh, were showing, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm sort of working through that now. I did a gig in Manchester recently and that was, it went much better than that and again, I learned about what I kinda can can't say outside of, outside of London. Yeah, sure. So have you, how, how, where's the purpose of you've been to be about to get a little bit?
1: <laughs> well, and, oh, where's the purpose I've been? I haven't done North yet i um, really? north Oh no, the furthest I've gigged is in Uganda. Oh shit, so, yeah. Yeah. So I did a small I did a small little thing with a few comedians there and I did the podcast out there. So yeah. That that kinda of trumps anything I could have said actually. So I did a small open mic out there, so um yeah. And How how'd it go? It was alright, I did I did local stuff, so I did stuff about they have their taxi system is basically motorbikes. Yeah. Um and then potholes and all that, so I did very relatable stuff for that area, so it was all about, all about, you know, relating to the locals and everything, so... So why did you
0: go to Uganda?
1: My partner's from there, that's where she's nice. from, so we had a, a quangula, which is just, just basically literally translates as as an introduction, or like, a, the introduction of two families, Yeah. and so that, that was basically an engagement party. Right, so we're not even married I spent over 10 grand on that thing and we're not even officially married yet so mental but yeah I went over there for that and I went over there did a three episodes for uh, the podcast with a comedian and a couple of actors which I think were really good episodes so um, do give them a listen and um, just plug in that and, and so yeah that, that, that went really well and, and yeah it's very interesting to observe that I had to watch a lot of Ugandan comedy before I did it and I noticed that I couldn't have done my self-deprecating set that I did in the UK because they were never going to get it Um, but going there as a white privileged man who is the only white person in, in like a like a very, in, in any space, pretty much, unless you're in the central capital. You know, so you, you can do a lot about that. About how, you know, I, I you know, we, we go around and we, we get around on cars, we don't get around on bikes. Yeah. We certainly don't get on the back of a bike yeah. um, for that. So I did
0: a lot about that. So, yeah. So, did you manage to ask about the human rights stuff to these comedians?
1: And The, the difficulty is there's, there's a there's a of interest in terms of that because my partner's father is a diplomat and so I didn't want to cross class and everything I did ask these people off records and yeah. there is there is an element of that that's an issue and there's, there's an issue with um, the LGBTQ sort of thing and, and so yeah, that,
0: che- that little chest up
1: <laughs> yeah there, there is a big issue with that and you know I know certain comedians have struggled with that over there but do you know what other than that, they're way far ahead than us in terms of social development. Yeah, so out that, exactly. because, because um, they, you know, women are working over there. They, they, men have a real respect for women over there. Not like you get in the UK. Um, you have, you know, a care system that's in the community. There's no such. There's no such thing as a old people's home. Doesn't exist. Out, you know, you go there, you retire, people in the community will look after you because you looked after them when you were at your peak. So, as much we used to have that in the UK. So, we've moved backwards in a sense, we might have developed in other ways, but yeah. we've certainly gone back back to something that we shouldn't be proud of. And, anyway, how many people in your street do you know?
0: I've literally just moved back from parents, puzzle Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I'd say I know one or two people, and that's just because they've been family friends. No, three. I know three, but one, I don't really know that well. Yeah. Oh, no, wait, four. Four. Four, yeah, four people live in that street. yeah. So you, so in the UK, you get pockets of communities. But it means it didn't so. used to be like that, though. It used to no, be no. everyone on my street knew each other. But yeah, people yeah. move away, and, you know, it's... It's kind of sad, in a way. I,
1: I don't know how long it would take before you know, countries like that are are okay with. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. I don't know how long it would take before they're okay with the LGBTQ thing. It could take a long time. It took the UK a long time, and we're still not there. No, in the we're UK. not. We can't kid ourselves and think that we're so far forward. And if you've got to think, you've got to think we've had a massive swing to the right recently. Right, which means and equals a match stream to the left, and hopefully in a couple of years we'll end up somewhere in the middle, and that's when yeah. we're most successful as a country. Yeah. Right. So we we as a we as a nation we we like to we really like to um, sugarcoat everything. Right. Yeah. So as much as as much as we're very very multicultural and we're open to people from all over the world, we there's a comedian called London right ironically London, London. Hughes right? London Hughes yes right and she had to go over to the US to move her career forward and she's a black you know brilliant actress right? and, and comedian and she had to go over to the US well, whereas
0: um, Gina Yashire had to do exact same thing
1: yeah exactly so the UK is still not there and she, she auditioned for 8 out of 10 cats right yep. and they, they said that she wasn't right for their audience and I don't know about you, but that, that's plain-right racist. So yes. In a country where we think we're a left, left-thinking, moving, leading country, we're not. We're We are. We are you know, Brexit has been a real um, wake-up call for us. And I think we've now realised our shortcomings. And hopefully, in five years, two or three, five years, we'll be in a place where we'll,
0: we'll level out. We'll, we'll mobilise and we'll balance it out a bit. But, but now, if you'll notice, London Hughes is now the only female black comedian you'll see on TV. Yes, yeah, true. Yeah, very true. Like we, um, I was sitting down on a Friday night a few weeks, uh, a couple months ago, with Mum, and we turned on the TV. There was London Hughes was on some cha- uh, some comedy chat show. Um, then we turn, then we turn the channel. She's there again on another London on another yeah, comedy yeah. chat show. And again, another another company Joshua.
1: And what's happened there and what's happened there is positive discrimination. Yeah. She's been taken as a token person to be put on these shows because they wanna be seen. Is, but
0: I don't wanna to I di- I don't wanna take away from the fact that she is fucking brilliant. Oh no, and she, she should is, she should be there on merit and she yeah. is there on
1: merit. Yeah. But I'm saying that it shouldn't be about it shouldn't they shouldn't have to say that okay, um, London Hughes is on T V and she's black, It should just yeah. be London Hughes on TV and she's amazing.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. it.
1: But what you'll find in the media is not being is not being published like that, it's not being spoken like that. So bringing back to Uganda, just a little callback as professional comedians, <laughs> is that in Uganda racism doesn't exist. No. Right? I was the only white person wherever I went, they call me Mizunga, which means white person, right? But they absolutely loved me. They, they didn't see me as something different, they just saw me as a brother, as, as another a person, person, yeah. And so we can learn from that, and there's a, there's something
0: we can take from such cultures like that, so. Right, speaking of a little bit of a callback, old folks' homes. Derek is set in an old folks' home.
1: That's true, and it centres around... Um, a middle-aged man who
0: has got autism. Yep. Um, but is it not? It's not. Well, from what I've seen of it, it's never really mentioned that he actually has definitely got autism. Even though we we know, it's not really said, is it? Because, no, it's
1: never said. No, that's true.
0: Well, there was a bit in the there was a bit in the beginning where um, one of when the when the, uh, the autism's having an inspection, right? One of the council workers came up and asked if Derek had ever been tested and he just said oh will it change who I am and when they said no he's like well then leave it out then I don't need it yeah exactly yeah so it's never it's never outwardly
1: said but I think I think Ricky, Ricky Gervais plays a role very well and and you know and and without ever having to say it, he's you know he, he they, they film him right in a way that he is different yeah and it's very clear that he is different and um, that's purposely done like that and so what so what was your you mean you're halfway through the first season so what yeah. was your what was your takeaway from it well, so far uh, do
0: you want to describe what it's about first before we did before we into that
1: yeah sure yeah why not yeah oh, I just assumed everyone's seen it um Derek Derek is about it basically centers around an old people's home that is um struggling with funding it's, it's, it's stopped to get um it's stopped to get it, it's it's it stopped getting government funding and basically it centers around these, these people being abandoned in an old people's home and it's an interview sort of based kind of mockumentary kind of um, sitcom. A bit like another Ricky
0: Gervais sitcom.
1: <laughs> A bit like another Ricky Gervais sitcom, slightly less insular than that maybe. And it's got it's got an alcoholic in it, um, played by uh, what is his name?
0: I don't know but his name's Kev in the show.
1: Yeah. There's an alcoholic in it called Kev. He's played by a really good comedian.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, that's I annoying. Mean. So I check and that. Carl. I Pil- ah, will check it. Oh, you can do it if you want. But Carl Pilkington plays the handyman and bus driver. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's basically the yeah. He's a caretaker, isn't he? Yeah, the caretaker. That's it. Mm. Um, I- I'm loving this show so far I'm genuinely loving this show so far like I think what stopped me from watching it beforehand when it first came out when everyone was actually talking about it yeah was the the fact that was the fact that everyone was actually talking about it and yeah so and,
1: the hype the hype is one yeah, of those it's, things it's not
0: and... just the hype for me it wasn't just the hype it was like I didn't want to to base all my conversations with people around this one topic. Yeah. I, okay. If they wanted to do that, that's fine, but I kind of wanted to be the person that was like, okay, you've talked about that enough now, let's talk about something else. And I don't think I could fully really do that if I was properly invested in this sitcom mm. as I definitely would have been, as I am now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: so yeah, so it does centre around, it centres around Derek who, who we, we think is you know, he's autistic, he plays an autistic character, he's never lazy, he's never um, put out there. Um David Earl is the guy who plays the the alcoholic that's it, he doesn't work there. Um, very funny character, yeah. one of the funniest parts of it. Um, obviously he said Carl Pilkinson plays the janitor, he basically to plays Carl Pilkinson getting angry yeah. he's often the voice of reason. Yeah. And they they use Carl Pilkinson's character in it to make the social comment that Basically, the essence of it is is that everyone else in that in that um, old people's home, and all the visitors that come, and any of the like council and everything that come into that, are have their own predispositions and judgments on the outside world, and they judge Derek regularly. They judge the old people regularly, the people that run the old people's home, and they use Derek and Carl Pilgrim's character to make a social comment that whilst he's the one that's, that's, that's observed and, uh, and um, observed to have the issue and to be different and to be strange, that he's the one that actually has the biggest heart and loves the most. And so that's the idea and Carl Blumenthal's character plays the person that observes this and stands up for him in this position.
0: Yeah, that's it. Um, so, speaking of that, what do you think of the representation of Derek himself? As an autistic person, um, I think you do,
1: I think it played it really well. I, I I, mean, I I went to school with somebody with Asperger's syndrome. Yeah. I, I had a regular customer at a cafe when I was a store manager who um, has Asperger's syndrome and deals with that. I'm writing a, I was, I was yeah. writing a story about it myself until Derek came yeah. out. Yeah. And I, hmm, and I thought it's going to be a too similar. <laughs> I had to leave at least fifteen years before I do it. And, and. Yeah, it is just the same. It is just the same. I think there are elements that don't work in the sense that he... He finds it very easy to talk to people in it, whereas the people that I went to school with didn't. Yeah. And I know there's people with reservations about it, and they, they don't think that he was the best person to make that social comment. But... You know Screw. what? Stripped it all back, and what you've got is a really important comment about human society and humanity. And I to me, without the comedy and all that sort of stuff, that message still stands strong. Yeah, It's just a brilliant sitcom as well.
0: Um, so, do you think that Carl Pilkington is genuinely how he is portrayed and how he portrays himself in TV, or do you reckon he's an actor? He's now an actor. No, do you reckon he's a... I mean, like, even before then... No, no, no. I'm know? just saying he's now... I would now say that he's an actor and anything
1: that you see on TV is a, is a part and he's yeah. a character. Yeah. Whereas when he first emerged on XFM, years back, I'm going to be able to saw him on XF, XFM. Yeah. Um, heard him on that when Ricky Gervais and Steve we were just breaking on the scene. Um, I don't think they could have scripted that. Some say that he was a gentleman called Graham yeah. and he was playing Carl Pilkinson. But I don't think some of the stuff that he came out with just I just it just couldn't have been scripted, I don't think. And I don't think I do think he became a caricature of himself. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely did. He, he started playing up to the cameras. By the time it became to sort of the moaning of life yeah. and everything, I think that was very much, you knew Carl Pilkington and he was just playing up to the camera yeah. at that point. You know, he'd done a little bit of acting training, he'd done presenting training, he'd done all that. Yeah. But I do not for a second believe that when he first emerged as a producer, That he was, he is what he was now because he's very different. I've listened to them all the way through, I agree. And now he's very different to what he was then, and I
0: think he's just developed as a person. I agree. Um, We would talk a little bit more, but we're a bit pushed for time at the moment. We better go and perform, yeah, man. I'm emceeing tonight, you're performing, yeah, yeah. Right, before we do that, um, when okay, where can they find you, first of all?
1: Well, um, run over to my website, lukeanthonycomedy.co.uk. I've got a list of my, uh, list. To my gigs on there. I'm going to be at the Downstairs of the King's Heads um, sometime in July. So I've, I've got to that point now, I'm so busy I don't even remember the dates so I have to check my own website nice. to know where I'm going to be. Um, and then, yeah, go and see my, my podcast. It's um, Luke Anthony, uh, sorry, uh, the podcast is The Comedian's Outlook, and that can be found on my website, which is lukeanthonycomedy.co.uk forward slash TCO podcast. Yeah. And you can just fire my name into any of your. Podcast listening apps. Yeah. And then the German podcast will pop up and take give it a listen and I think episode one of the ep- earlier episodes in it is with Nathan and Nathan himself when we get quite deep and we do. about comedy. So
0: yeah, definitely give that a listen. Alright, thanks This That's great. Cheers mate. so yeah thanks to luke anthony for being on the show thank you to the pizza and pasta place in south kensington which was really great for letting us record and thank you to you listeners for sticking with this nice and short one um time wasn't really on our side because we had to as we send the show go and do a show together so yeah that's why it's a bit shorter we couldn't go into as much depth as we wanted but you know hopefully next time we'll be able to do that and so yeah thanks guys for listening and catch you next time goodbye